Is and that really your takeaway from this? Yeah. Okay, well, you're wrong. Welcome. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga, your host, with me as always, almost always. Almost always. Almost always. Most of the time is my co-host, my wife, and and your favorite member of the podcast <laughs> listening audience, Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. <laughs> no, it is true. It is true. You are beloved. I am tolerated. <laughs> Story of Hi, my guys. life, man. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Can I set the scene here for a minute? Well, I mean, it's my episode, but okay. sure, go ahead. Well, I feel like people need to know about the swanky chair that you're rocking right now. So, I'll put a link in the show notes. Seriously, my I will. Mom, my mom was here the other day, and she glanced in, in the office in which we are sitting now and said, what kind of chair is that? It's, <laughs> and I explained that yeah. Barry bought a new office chair, except it's actually a chair that's made for video game well, players. Well, here, here's the thing. Morgan has been complaining for... What? For easily over a year now, probably two years, about my office chair. Have I really? Yes. Yes. Well, because it squeaks a lot. It squeaks. But the only reason I complained is because you would move and then be like, oh, this chair squeaks. And I would say, then get a goddamn new chair. Like I say, Morgan's been complaining <laughs> for about two years about my office chair. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I fell in love with this website called thrifter.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. And what they do is they sort of curate a list every day of cool stuff that is on sale across yeah. the Internet. It's nice. Um, and, and it has led to me spending more money than I should. <laughs> but one day um, I noticed that there was a chair on sale. It looked like a really nice, comfortable chair. And it was on sale for a pretty good price. And uh, I sent a link to it to you uh-huh. and said, what do you think? And unbeknownst to me, you did not bother to look at the link or anything. You just <laughs> responded and said, yes, buy it. I just saw the picture. So I thought that you had actually read the link and no. knew something about the chair. But no, no you were just you I were mean, just like, please, for the love of God, get a buy new a new chair. Also, I don't read things. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I went ahead and I bought this chair. And... Uh, it's a video game chair. It's a chair for people playing video games. And I thought to myself, you know, I need a nice comfortable chair because I sit at my desk a lot Mm -hmm. and video game chairs are designed for people who are sitting in their chairs playing games for like 15 hours a day. So they're made to be really comfortable and ergonomic. (laughs) And so that's what I did. And I wasn't really thinking there were multiple colors, but I didn't realize that. (laughs) And I just bought the one that came up when I clicked on the link. So it's got the, it's a black chair, but it has these red highlights. No, 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 no. It has five. Fire engine, Fire red, engine highlights. red highlights. So it looks pretty badass, and it does unfortunately have a logo on it, the logo of the company. But when you're sitting in it, you you, you know you don't see any of that, obviously. But yes, I have a red and black chair, high tech, high tech, fancy. It is so comfortable. Adjustable lumbar support, adjustable neck support. It's super comfortable. Um, and yes, the, the that is what I'm sitting in. Um, and meanwhile. I, the co-host, am sitting in an Ikea chair that I purchased, oh, five years before I even met you. Yeah. And I, it has followed me around into multiple apartments. And you hate this chair. I, no, it's not that I hate it. I actually like the look of it. Yeah. And comfort-wise, it's fine, but it's a pain to move. It and, is. you know, it's, not to get too in the weeds move, here. Yeah. But for the podcast, we have to move the chair over right. to the microphone. And 
Oh, it's all, it's just, it's exhausting, you guys. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> anyway, somehow we've managed to overcome this hurdle. <laughs> but no, you know, there, there is a, a an important thing to talk about here with, with regards to the subject of the podcast. You know, if you are a writer, you should have a pretty decent chair. That is You know, true. Th- think about the ergonomics of your setup. Uh-huh. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to some some stuff I've read about the ergonomics of writing. Uh, you know, it, it's important. It really is. Because you don't want to get carpal tunnel or a repetitive stress injury, blow out your wrists, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of writer friends who, like, no joke, it has impacted their career that they blew out their yeah. wrists and it's really difficult. You know, dictation software is good, but it's not that good, especially when you are used to typing as, as a the conduit of your right. creativity. It's very difficult to adjust your brain to do dictation instead. And um, so, yeah, t- take care of yourself. It's also really good. My recommendation is to get up every 25 minutes or so and do some down dogs. I'm serious. When you're writing, like when you're doing a long stretch of writing, you got to work out that back. Uh-huh. So that's me. That's what I do. Down dogs all day long. <laughs> all day long. I am so yoga. Moving on. Moving on from that. Um, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about parenting and then move into the, the writing stuff. Okay. Uh, there was an article that I read recently in the Washington Post called More Playtime with Dad Linked to Lower Obesity Risk for Young Kids. This is a fascinating study. It was really kind of cool. Yeah. And so give them the gist. I mean, anytime I see anything, any headline that indicates that that the mere presence of the father is good for the kids, I, I got to read it. Um, yeah. The, the gist of the article is that, especially when kids are younger, like two, two to four, um, every every activity they do with their father, every additional activity that they do with their father lessens their chance of developing obesity as, as they move along. Um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a physical activity. Right, That's what right. I find is so interesting. Yeah, about this. It can just be laying on the floor, you know, racing cars around or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, now, you know, I like to think that's because there's something magical about fathers, but sure, the, sure, sure. the study really seems to indicate that it has more to do with there being two parents right. actively involved in raising the children. Uh-huh. And that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, the idea that when you have two parents sharing the parenting burden in a more equitable fashion, it's, it's uh, for lack of a better term, it's just better parenting. The kids are less likely to develop uh, some, of, some of these health issues such as obesity. But I do, it, it's really hard. The connection is strange, right? Like, sure. Okay, so if dad is home an extra hour each day and they are doing a puzzle together. Right. Somehow, like, how does that correlate to kids not being obese? I mean, I imagine, I'm trying to imagine a scenario, and I'm going to throw one out there, and I'm sure that the statisticians and scientists in the audience will laugh at this. But imagine a scenario, for example, where dad isn't at home for that hour, and it's that last hour of the day, and mom is frazzled, and is too crazed and trying to get things done to spend time on each kid yeah and so the one kid just sort of sits there sedentary and maybe has a snack right okay to keep the kid quiet and happy yeah. whereas when dad's home for that hour they're occupied they're occupied and yeah. they're not sedent they're not completely sedentary and they're not bored and they're not having a snack right yeah and okay. you know a, right. and a lot of times you know it's very easy i think we both know this it's very easy to take a bored or cranky child and throw food at them as a way of pacifying them them. I don't ever do that. Of course not. 
And, you know, it, and, and then they learn that habit and they carry that yeah. habit with them. Yeah. I remember as a kid several times saying to my mom, I'm hungry. And my mom saying to me, you're not hungry, you're bored. Yeah. You know, and if, if that's something that you learn at that age, then, yeah, you're going to develop this, mm-hmm. this problem later in life. Whereas if dad is home for that hour, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's just one scenario that I'm imagining uh, how, how this could work out. So I thought that was interesting. And, and, you know, I, I joke about, I love articles that talk about how great dads are, but really what these articles come down to is that it's not that dads are great. It's that dads historically have been so uninvolved that now that we see them becoming more involved, we're seeing the benefits. Mm. So it, dads yeah. be involved. That's, that's what it comes down to. Signed Barry Lega. There you go. A dad. Yes. Let us move on now. Speaking of dads. Speaking of dads. Dad of the year. Dad of the year. Donald John Trump. Wait, does (laughs) Jay stand for John? Really? Yes. He is sort of a father to all of us. (laughs) I I think of him that way. Sort of the the abusive, neglectful father that that we all wanted. Um, but, But this is not a politics rant. Do not fear. This is actually about publishing. Uh, the New Republic ran a piece recently called "Is Trump Ruining Book Sales?" <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, which, I mean, there is nowhere safe from this guy. I believe Cat Fancy Magazine probably has cover stories about Trump and somehow making cats unhappy. Right. Like, I, I truly believe this. The man has infiltrated every aspect That's, of our lives. It's like I saw the headline and I was like, you know. Everything he touches turns to God. Well, why does it have to be books? Too? Rick Wilson, my my hero, Rick Wilson has a has a, a saying which is ETTD. Everything Trump touches dies. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that is his saying. Everything Trump touches, he will hashtag ETTD. But like, don't come for my books, man. Yeah. Well, apparently, um, apparently sales are bad. <laughs> um, according to Publishers Weekly, in 2016. There were no breakout bestsellers in adult fiction. Wow. None. Think back on 2016. What was the big book everybody was talking about? There wasn't one. Yeah. Right? Um, And sales were down by 1%, which may not seem like a big deal, but also Publishers Weekly reports that in the first half of 2017, the year we are currently in, uh, there's still no breakout hit. Right. So we're looking at 18 months Usually there's something that breaks out. There's yeah. some book that everybody is talking about that everybody's falling in love with. And 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 that the Trump, girl on the train. Book. Right. The girl yeah. on the train, gone girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what whatever it happens to be. And apparently Trump has just sucked all the oxygen mm-hmm. out well, of I everything. What what's important to note um was that in this article they quoted some publicists from various publishers and a lot of them were saying things like, you know, they had booked their authors on morning shows, yep. on cable news shows, and every day with, you know, six new breaking news stories yep. about politics, those authors just kept getting bumped and bumped and bumped yep. and finally just canceled. Yep. And I can say this is purely anecdotal, but from my personal experience, uh, when I had uh, my publicist making phone calls and reaching out to people about Bang mm. in... Um, in the early part of this year, right around inauguration time and yeah. right after the inauguration, I can tell you that when she and I spoke, she said, it's really difficult. All anybody wants to talk about is Trump. That's all anybody can think about. And it was really difficult yeah. to get people to focus on other things. And I can also say that I have a book that was originally slated to come out in the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. 
it was recently pushed back to the spring of 2019 yeah. for reasons that you don't need to worry about that don't that don't mean anything. But when my agent informed me that it was pushed back, she said to me, it's probably for the best. There are a lot of publishers who are worried that sales are going to be really bad in the fall of 2018 because of the midterm elections. <sighs> and that's all anybody's going to be talking about or thinking yeah. about is the midterm elections and sales are going to be dismal. Yeah. So you're better off being in spring 2019. That blows my mind uh-huh. that i mean you know is I, this like the new normal now? i started publishing at the tail end of the bush years you know and published all through the obama years there were plenty of political controversies and problems during those years there was an economic collapse two years into right. my writing career yeah nothing like never that. did anybody say to me oh because of the current political situation we're having trouble selling your book or publicizing your book yeah. nobody ever said anything yeah. remotely like that this is a very different thing so it's interesting that at an industry level he is affecting sales. And also I think the article mentions dystopia and certain things. Now this is, this is the thing. Certain things are doing well. Dystopian novels are doing well. Certain types of political books and nonfiction, certain types of nonfiction like hillbilly elegy, for example, um, James Baldwin's collection, uh, the fire next time, his collection of essays, which I talked about on the show once, (laughs) um, certain books like that. And the article also mentioned that marginalized groups are seeing success. Hmm. Because those voices are becoming more and more important in the age of Trump. If there's any silver lining to this at all, to the existence of Trump at all <laughs> and his presidency, let it be that that marginalized voices are are getting a day in the sun, yeah. at least. I mean, yeah. that, that's a good thing. If that's the price we have to pay, then then it, at least we get that. There's yeah. the silver lining. I am, first of all, A, that's totally true. But B, to hear Barry Liga talk about a silver lining is like mind-blowing for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to look at the cloud inside the silver lining. Trump, what have you wrought? I know. Is, uh, is I know. my question. No, but... I'm desperate. I'm clinging to <laughs> anything I can cling to. But the interesting thing is that, okay, so um, rise in dystopia, rise in nonfiction, and rise in political nonfiction. Yeah. I, on a per, and I understand that's an industry level, I, on a personal level, and I think I've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, the election of Trump made me dive towards. Light, fluffy, contemporary fiction. Yeah. I don't want dystopian because we are living in one. Sure. I don't want nonfiction because, uh, I don't know, for several reasons that I probably haven't unpacked fully yet. But I have just made a beeline towards light, fluffy things that will blessedly give me relief from our current situation. And I think that most, that a lot of people have, but I think given that, that, uh, it's sad that I that I can say this and not feel like I'm being hyperbolic, given that in the United States we are not a reading culture. Yeah, I think people are turning more to television. I mean, and and that sort of thing. You think um, so? Yeah, yeah. I think they're looking more for light entertainment on television okay. or deeply engrossing things that can uh, take them out of the world. That's so, fair. for yeah. example, Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's right, which was popular before Trump, obviously. But people are are. You know, because you can just forget what's going on in the real world. But this is a that's actually a good point that raises a related issue for me, which is that uh, The Handmaid's Tale is obviously an excellent book. I read it 20 years ago in high school and it turned me into a huge Margaret Atwood fan. Um, It is a wonderful television show. But you and I have not yet watched it. Right. There is a there are two reasons for that. One of which is is a processing. We don't have Hulu. We just haven't signed up for it yet. Um, But the second is I know that I am hesitant to watch it because I know it's going to be wonderful. But 
it's going to be so disturbing that I don't know if I can emotionally stomach it. It's like too soon. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just, I, uh, uh, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. It's one thing to read or to, to watch, to experience something like that when you feel like, okay, things are bad, but we're sort of moving in the right direction. It's another thing when you feel like, oh no, we're gazing into the maw of hell itself (laughs) and and things are going to be even worse than this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it can definitely be tough. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, there's a reason why certain types of books and certain types of movies were not popular right after 9-11, right, for example. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the, you know, too soon exists as a phrase for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am curious for our listeners, what kinds of changes has our current political situation brought to your own pop culture and yeah. reading habits? I would love to know. I mean, yeah, and I think it's something that, I think some people may consciously have made these changes, but I'm more interested in mm. letting people think about it and wonder, have they sort of unconsciously right. gravitated to this or to that? Yeah. Um, I know that I've, you know, I, I've been itching to read like really good fantasy, Ah. Okay. you know, and that's because it's a whole different universe. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. think yeah. about, think about I don't ours. have to think about any mm-hmm. of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, tell like, us guys, leave yeah, some comments. Tell us. We'd love yeah. to hear. Um, like, is anybody out there reading like intentionally reading political thrillers right now. Oh, God. Like, how can you? I, 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 I don't know how you could. Um, but I guess somebody is. So, yeah. All right. Moving on to more writing stuff. There's an article um, from WNYC uh, about spoilers. And this is not something new. This is actually citing a study that came out a while ago. And this is before we had a podcast, so we never talked about it. But basically, this study says that that if you know how something ends, if you know how a story ends, you actually enjoy it more because your brain can stop worrying about how is it going to all end, mm. and you can sort of enjoy the art of it um, and 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 take it apart because you you're, you're disconnected from the worry because you can appreciate the journey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder that about you. Because I. I when this study came out a couple of years ago, I was furious. <laughs> I was absolutely furious and I am still furious because <laughs> people now use this as justification for spoiling, spoiling things. things. They're like, well, it doesn't matter. There was a study that shows you'll enjoy it more. And I'm but like, aren't you the guy who has never read Harry Potter and yet read the last page of Harry Potter of book seven? Wow. You're outing me <laughs> on the podcast for that? Really? Wait, is that a secret? <laughs> Nobody knows that. Spoiler alert, now they do. <laughs> no, wait, let's unpack this. You're sitting here complaining about spoilers. Yeah. And you intentionally spoiled for yourself. Yes. The biggest children's book series on the planet. Yeah. In the history of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, first of all, let me talk about why I don't like spoilers. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and why I think that this study is bullshit. Okay. I am sure it is true on a neurological level that if you know how a story ends, you can unpack it more while you're experiencing it. That to me is not justification for learning the ending. That to me is justification for reading it twice. Okay. Mm, fair. Okay. Um, and what drives me crazy again, what drives me crazy about this is that people then use it as justification for spoiling a story and just shrugging their shoulders. And, and well, but like, 
people what people this isn't like a people. universal thing where suddenly spoilers are allowed everywhere like let's not be no, I, I've, I've seen it cited i've seen i've seen circumstances where somebody will will spoil something and somebody will say hey spoilers and the original person will say oh don't oh stop it there was so a study like that shows comments. yeah okay so yeah. it's not art you're not reading actual pieces of journalism it's people's <laughs> comments that are spoiling things for you we're just potty mouth tonight i know i wow. know Listen, you got me started with Trump, and now I'm going to be potty mouth. Again, once again, it's his fault. It's Everything is his fault. So, I just feel like, I feel like, you know, experience the thing twice. Like, read it once for the surprise of mm. it, and, 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 and to enjoy it the way the author intended it, the way the creators intended it, and then go back and take your time and dig into it. I mean, listen, I think that's a really nice philosophy. Like, I, I just that's difficult for me. No, I understand that. I understand that. And, and I understand that people don't always have time to do that. But I think I think like th- this study just feels like a very, um, a very rigid, very, very uh, overly like scientific in the worst, most pejorative sense of the word, like like. You know the the Big Bang Theory guys. I could see them saying, you know, well, you know, according to recent studies, uh, being spoiled for a story increases your enjoyment. Therefore, I will tell you the ending of every story that has ever been written right now. It's just, it, it's like, yeah, like it may be technically true again on like some neurological level, but so what? But here's the thing. I think I think this is. Pr- I'm speculating here, but this article is probably a reaction to the backlash of spoiler alerts that has happened because you know, like someone's like. Oh, I haven't watched mm, Carrie yet. Right. Which was what, 1982? I have no idea. Well, the book came out in the early yes. 70s. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about the movie. Yeah. I don't know why I'm talking about the movie. But yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, right. so, so don't tell me the ending. Right. Like, well, no, it's a few decades old. So I'm right. allowed to talk about the ending without issuing a spoiler alert. Right. So I think that this is a reaction to that of like, everyone calm down about spoiler culture. Anyway, no, so it's funny because I, you and I are very different readers and watchers of things, and um, I have very vivid memories of reading certain books, including Harry Potter, and knowing, like, as I came to the end of a chapter, if the chapter, if the end of the chapter was on the right side of the, the right page of the book, and I've got it open, I would have to physically put my hand over the right page so that my eyes don't stray over there so yeah, I can quickly sure. read the, the end. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I'm different. I don't know. I, I'm just a different reader than you. So I want to be able to enjoy the language of a piece, mm-hmm. the slow pace of a piece or, or anything like that. And sometimes that means that it is better for me to know how that chapter is going to end or how that book is going to end or whatever because then there's something in my like anxiety ridden brain that calms down. Yeah. And so then I can stop and enjoy it. Right. But you're not doing that by spoiling it for yourself. You're doing that by preventing you from spoiling. No, no, no. I'm saying sometimes I then I do look. Yeah. So that I can calm down and yeah. and enjoy the book instead yeah. of But I think I think I think the problem that I have is is let let's be reductive and say there are two kinds of people. The kind who want to know how it ends ahead of time and the kind who don't. Sure. Right? Um, and I realize that's simplistic, but for the sake of argument, let's say that. I think it's it's I think it's bad science and bad policy and just bad to come out and say this group's right. Is and, that really your takeaway from this? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. I really think this is a reaction to the constant capital letter, multiple exclamation point spoiler alerts that everyone, everyone again, not to be reductive, uh, to that kind of culture where like you can't tweet about the ending of something that came out 10 years ago because you haven't binge watched it yet or something like that. That's what this is a reaction to. I, I don't think so. I disagree. Right. I think. Once again, you're wrong. I'm kidding. Uh, well. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is, I mean, you're someone that when you read or you watch, say, a thriller, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you your brain is constantly working to look for the traps and the holes and yeah. the hints yeah. to find out the answer beforehand. My brain isn't because I just want to enjoy the story. I mean, that's not an intentional thing on my no, part. No, no, no. I'm not I'm trying not saying to do it. it. Yeah. 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 And mine is not, I'm like, not like, intentionally like, ignoring like those. Like, I wasn't trying to figure out the end of The Sixth Sense. Right. Okay. For example. Yeah. Right? It just happened. Okay. You know? Yeah. And and I will admit, like, I got a little thrill from the when fact that right. I figured it out. Yeah. But I can only imagine what the thrill would have been if I hadn't figured it out. Mm. And, and, and that's why... I really enjoy when I don't figure something out. Okay. You know, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and that's why, again, this study bothers me because it says very declaratively, if you know the ending, you enjoy the story that much more. And it's like, no, I am telling you definitively, I do not. Like, I am telling you that I absolutely do not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can be watching a movie and, you know, the hero is in danger and could possibly die. And suddenly I remember, oh, yeah, I saw a trailer where there's a scene that I haven't seen yet. So I know he's not going to die here because that scene still has to come. Mm-hmm. And then I'm disappointed because mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, they had me going here. But, you know, what's interesting is that um, your default assumption for the hero was male. I'm just, yeah, no, I well, know, of I know. course, yeah. because men are heroes. Oh, <laughs> so I was recently reading The Trespasser by Tana French, yes. which I really liked, but is a thriller, mm-hmm. not but, but is a thriller. And that was probably the first book where I was, I found myself consciously trying to find, to, to spoil it for myself right? Um, by looking for the clues, looking for the, the hints and everything. I don't think I enjoyed that reading experience as much because I was doing that. Yeah. So I'm going to blame you for that. Okay. Okay. I feel better now. <laughs> I, I can take it. Okay. So uh, that boy wizard. <laughs> so yeah, th- this is my deep, dark secret. I, I work <laughs> in children's publishing and I've never read Harry Potter. Um, but you know how it ends. I do know how it ends. So here, here's the thing. Today, here's... by the way, is a very special day. Did you know that? Is today the day the train went off the tracks and crushed Ron Weasley? <laughs> today is, is that a guy? Is, a, he, is he a character? 19 years later on yeah. September 1st, yeah. which is the exact day that Harry comes back to Hogwarts in the epilogue of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Oh, so okay. ha- today, September 1st, when we're recording this, is back to Hogwarts Day, which is a big thing. Got it. That's when got all the it. kids go to Hogwarts. But is Ron Weasley a thing? Did I get that right? That's a, that is a character. See? Yes. Okay, there you see. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I thought you were being facetious. No, I wanted oh, to make okay. sure. I'm like, I think that's a thing. Okay. <laughs> um, no, here's the thing. So Harry Potter came out, and, uh, and, and when it started getting big and started getting attention, everybody was talking about it. Um, somebody said, oh, it's about these kids, and they go to school, and blah, 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 and magic, and they're wizards, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh. I've seen that before. And I have. I mean, I've seen it in comic books. I've seen it in fantasy novels, you know, all along. So I was like, okay, I've seen that before. I I don't need to read this because I've read stories like this before. And, you know, um, life is short and I'm going to read something else. And so at some point it just became a thing where I'm like, I just haven't read Harry Potter. So at one point I decided, no, I should really read Harry Potter. 
this is where I'm going to lose everybody. So I, <laughs> sa- I sat down with the first book and I opened it up and I read the first page and I was like, this is the dullest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is terrible writing. I can't do this to myself. So you read literally one page? I read literally the first page. God, why did I marry you? He lives under the stairs. I know that. Um, so, and I put it aside. And then I decided, well, maybe I'll just watch the movies. Because that's yeah. what I would do. So the first movie was on HBO. And I was like, okay. And I literally watched the first half hour. And I was like, oh my God, I'm falling asleep. This is terrible. <laughs> so I turned it off. And and like I know people are gathering their pitchforks and their tiki torches right now. And they're going to march on the house. Because no, I'm I mean, I, honestly, you're not saying anything gro- groundbreaking. Um, I, don't, I'm, that's, I don't have to say anything groundbreaking. <laughs> um, and I just, I just didn't like it. And I recognize, you know, that... that People think it's a masterpiece, and and you know certainly, you know I am in a very tiny minority. Well, obviously, I, mean, sir, I don't think anyone's. I don't think you're trying to argue that it hasn't changed the world of literature. Not at right, all. Yeah, not at all. I and, know several people who have tried multiple yeah. times and can't get through. And and certainly, certainly, you know, I owe my career to her to some degree because she changed children's publishing right. and certainly made it possible for people like me to Absolutely. make a living at this. So I'm grateful for that. And and from everything I have seen, she seems like a fine person. And a, a good human being, and I like it. Even even when I don't understand somebody's success, I like it when good people are successful. So that's good. So I just figured I'm just not going to read these books. So the seventh book came out, and my brother and I went to the bookstore to buy it. Did your brother read them? Yes. Okay. Oh, my brother was obsessed with them. Loved them. And uh, so we're standing there in line with like five million other people, and I thought this will be funny. And I opened the book to the last page, and I didn't read it out loud. I didn't, I didn't spoil it for anybody but myself, well, I and I just made a show of reading the last page and then closed it. Um, so all I know about Harry Potter is that he used to live under the stairs, and sometimes now sometimes the scar hurts, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly... That's kind of I can, all you need. <laughs> I was going to say, that's. I mean, I hate to reduce seven books to that, but that's. and I will say, my brother said, I hope someday you write a big, long series, and somebody just reads the first page and the last page and says that's all they need to know. <laughs> So, yes, he was very upset with me. Um, but that's why I did it. Now, having said that, at some point, I'm going to read these books. With the kids. I feel like it's inevitable. I will read yeah. them with our kids. Yeah. Um, but, it's yeah. It's really fun. I, I just, I mean, seriously, at the time that book seven came out, yeah. which was 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm More than. Read... More than 10 mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah. Okay. I was like, I'm not going to read these. Yeah. Why not have a little fun with it? Right. So I did. Um, and that that is my my story and my secret shame. I, I, I feel like being somebody who works in children's publishing, confessing they've never read Harry Potter is is a tough thing. Listen, um, I I know people at Scholastic who have never don't read say. It. Oh, that's not true. And have tried. It's not true, Dick don't. Robinson. It's not true. <laughs> no, but um, I mean, I just want to set the record that I yeah. absolutely adore them. Oh, I know. Have I know. reread them. Multiple You've reread times. them many. You've talked on the show about reading them. I have. Them. Yeah. No. And, but and, anyway, but I get it. And, and and honestly, I mean, I think it's beyond wonderful that it has sort of. Uh, not to be too dramatic, has sort of rescued reading for a generation. Yeah, like I yeah. really, I mean, I think the data is there oh, that, 100%. That, it, that she turned a generation of kids uh-huh. who probably would have been hooked on the internet more than they are yep. into a generation of readers. Again, that's why I am able to have a career. I think that's wonderful. There are actual, I don't have to like the books to appreciate what she did. There are actual studies that show that reading the Harry Potter series makes you more empathetic. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there you go. That's my deep, dark secret. Well, I'm sorry I outed you. And, and yet I'm also pleased with myself. And, and, and my spoiler hypocrisy. <laughs> of course you're pleased with yourself. Anything that makes me uncomfortable can't be all bad, right? All right. So let's talk quickly about uh, what are you reading or what do you recommend? What are you reading, Morgan? I am reading. This will be a familiar name to longtime listeners. I'm reading the newest Carol Goodman book. Hey! The Seduction of Water. Yay! <laughs> um, uh, yeah, she's one of my, like, standby go-to authors. Anytime she has something new out, I read it. And actually, this one, I think, slipped through my my notice, probably because I was having a baby or something silly like that. Um, but then my twin sister was like, Morg, there's a new Carol Goodman. Have you read it? I really liked it. And I was like, no. So now I'm reading it. She did this and telepathically, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. I like woke up at like 2 a.m. and yeah. was like, Kelly is sending me a message. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm reading. So Cool. Yeah. How about you? Um, I am reading Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. Okay. It is a YA debut. Um, I am moderating a panel that Tiffany will be on at the Brooklyn Book Festival later in September, and so I am reading her book, and I'm glad that I'm moderating it because I'm enjoying the book, Good. and uh, it probably would have taken me years to get to it if I didn't <laughs> have to read it right now, yeah. so I'm enjoying it. Nice. Yeah. Um, before we go, I wanted to bring up a bit of business. This okay. is episode 90 of this <gasps> podcast. Oh, my God. We are 10 episodes away from 100. What should we do for our big centennial? I don't know. I would love people to submit ideas. I... Should we try and get a guest host? We got to do something special. I mean, I feel like 10 episodes away, I mean, right now at our pace of one every two weeks, it's going to be sometime January of 2018. Um, okay. And, and we started it in, a, in, January, in January of 2016, of 20, right? 20, oh, 2015. 2015. Yeah, oh it was right goodness. after Leo was That's born. That's right. So I really, I feel like... We need to do something big yeah. and fun, and but I have no idea what. I have some ideas. I got I, some things up my sleeve. All right, but I would also like to hear from our listeners. Well, sure. What did they want to hear for our big 100th? Okay. Um, and uh, let us know, because cool. we would love to know. So that is it for us this episode. Uh, please visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Give us ideas for our 100th episode. Ask us questions. <laughs> Tell us your, your spoiler policy, and uh, yeah. and tell us if you're reading less because of Trump or if yeah. you've changed your reading because of Trump. Uh, and then also follow us on Twitter at WIRL podcast. And you know what I'm going to say next, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating because uh, that's what we live off of. So that is it. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks all for listening. Thanks. <laughs>